You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Translating knowledge from bench to bedside and back again is the holy grail for all medical professionals. Physician scientists are the transport vehicle. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am your host, attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs for new uses. And with me is Dr. Jay Anta Debnath, Assistant Professor, Department of Pathology, University of California, San Francisco. Dr. Debnath is a member of the UCSF Comprehensive Cancer Center, a Charles E. Culpepper Medical Scholar, and he recently received career development awards from the Howard Hughes Medical Institute and the AACR. Dr. Debnath and I are discussing his choice to pursue a career in cancer research instead of clinical care. Dr. Debnath, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks for having me. What is life like for a physician scientist? How does your week split up? What are your clinical and non-clinical obligations, and what else do you do? So most of my uh, week is actually spent doing science, which is exactly what I wanted to do, I think, as I uh, embarked on my career. So I spend probably, I would say, half of every day at the bench actually running experiments with my graduate students and uh, postdoctoral fellows. The other half is mostly dealing still with science, but with more of the administrative aspects, you know, writing protocols, writing grants, and things like that. So I continue to maintain a clinical presence in my own department at UCSF. I'm a surgical pathologist, and I spend six weeks of every year, and during those weeks, pretty much all I do is surgical pathology. In those weeks, I basically have a clinical schedule. The other major things that I do is teach. I teach medical students and graduate students some of these kind of service works and um, and committee works and things like that. So where'd you earn your MD? So I went to Harvard. I graduated, I think, uh, 1998. So I've been out for a while. When did you know you wanted to do research instead of clinical care? While I was in medical school, at the I had finished my um, third year rotations. And at that time, I actually entered a program through the Howard Hughes Medical Institute, and I went down from Boston to Bethesda, and I worked at the NIH for two years. I was in the laboratory, actually, it was kind of a a life-changing event for me of a Nobel laureate named Harold Varmus, who at the time was head of the um, NIH and now is uh, president of Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Pretty much those two years in the Varmus lab as part of a Howard, as a Howard Hughes fellow was kind of a life-changing experience for me. I basically came back knowing that I really wanted to, you know, spend my life doing disease-oriented basic research rather than um, focusing on doing clinical work when I um, grew up, I guess, so to say. So the rest of your class finishes their sophomore year and heads off to the clinic, and you head off to Bethesda. What was going through your head at the time that said, I know I don't want to jump into this uh, clinical stuff. I want to go take a couple years off. Well, I think at the time, actually, I was always fascinated. I, I think, you know, when you're in medical school, you sit back there, you're overloaded with a lot of information. And, you know, there's, I think, a certain subset of people, you know, it's probably a, a personality type uh, or a personality disorder, whichever you want to call it, that, you know, really wants to delve further into what's going on in terms of these basic molecular underpinnings that, you know, kind of drive, you know, the knowledge base for medicine, but they're not critical for practicing medicine on a day-to-day basis. So I became kind of interested, if you will, in, in too many trees rather than the forest. 
And so I thought, well, what better way to like understand the trees and things like that than actually, you know, immerse myself in a, in a basic science lab for a couple of years. And I thought I maintained that interest that, you know, I would come back and somehow try to mold a career where I did both clinical work and basic science research. But I think as I went further and further along, I realized that I was, you know, continually drawn to the, to the laboratory bench. It was actually, you know, more of a, you know, an evolution per se, rather than you just, you know, I just decided that, oh, I didn't want to, you know, go to the wards. Wanted to see what, you know, what drove the research that we studied in medical school, and then I ended up doing it, I guess. So you came back from Bethesda. Then did you have to do your clinical part of your medical training? So I finished my clinical training, and then I actually did a residency in pathology. After that, you know, I'd been away from science for three to four years, but I decided to actually go back. And that was actually the harder thing because I was really close to, for most doctors, as you're finishing your residency, you're, you're close to finally being independent. But what I decided to do was did a postdoctoral fellowship in basic science. And so I did that in, in a basic cell biology lab at Harvard for five years before I actually ever took my first faculty position. You are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, and I am speaking with Dr. Jayanta Debnath, Assistant Professor, Department of Pathology, University of California, San Francisco, about his cancer research. So you come back from doing this five years at Harvard, and then how do you get yourself established? One of the nice things was that my five years of uh, postdoctoral fellowship were very productive, so um, people took me seriously as a basic science researcher. I decided I wanted to be in a pathology department because that's what I was clinically trained for a variety of reasons. I wanted to train and encourage other people to do what I did, other pathologists to do what I did. And secondly, I wanted to keep, you know, some clinical element to my, you know, everyday life. And so as a result, I was able to find a position where I was able to, to mold the two, although I would say I do over 90% of my time in basic science research. I think getting established is, is tough in this climate in a sense because the funding rates from the National Institutes of Health have, have really declined over the last several years. But you said when you were at Harvard, you were very productive during those research years. What does that mean to somebody like me who's more on the clinical side? What does being a re productive researcher really mean? A productive researcher is pretty much two things, getting grant funding and getting papers published. So I was successful in both of those fronts while I was a fellow at Harvard. And as a result, I was able to get faculty positions at a variety of institutions across the country. And Finally, was really excited to come to UCSF because of its long history of basic and clinical research. I think when I started my own laboratory, I decided to do so in, in a department of pathology for a couple of reasons. One, I wanted other people, residents and fellows who are pathologists, I wanted to encourage them to do what I do because I think there's a, a serious reduction in the number of physician scientists uh, over the past, you know, 10 to 15 years. And secondly, I wanted to keep a clinical element to my everyday life. So I, I am able to do some surgical pathologies during isolated times during the year and keep a kind of clinical element to my job. You mentioned the reduction in NIH funding. How bad is it and how is it affecting your productivity? The reduction has really been gradual, but I think it's finally 
getting to the point where it's 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 really bad. So the success rates of grants for basic researchers, whether they have an MD or not, has usually run, you know, when times were good, around 25 to 30 percent. And now you're looking at success rates that have dropped precipitously to about 5 to 10 percent. So what ends up happening is that you spend a lot more time writing grants rather than doing research. So that actually negatively affects your productivity. And secondly, it actually, I, I think most importantly, affects your ability to really think long term or to, to actually take some gambles. Doing research for the time I've been doing it, and I'm sure a lot of my older colleagues would would agree even more, is that it's actually those gambles or those kind of you know left turns or weird things that happen at, in during the course of research that end up leading to the biggest discoveries. And I think because we're thinking in a very cookie cutter mentality in order to get our grants funded, that element of creativity and serendipity is really being lost and driven out of science. So the NIH funding is really looking at the safest, most certain to succeed types of research and leaving the very innovative stuff on the sidelines? Yes. So NIH funding has traditionally always been the more conservative stuff. But I think because the success rates have diminished even more so than than previous, that you really have to be, you know, you essentially are doing experiments that you know are going to work but not necessarily you know, going to yield you that much useful information. So who funds the really innovative research these days? Some of it comes from private foundations, such as Partnership for Cures. Some of it actually is, comes from the universities themselves who have you know, deep coffers. So you're finding that some of the universities that have the ability to give their own faculty you know, kind of seed grants to get them started. The University of California can do that, and a lot of the major public, major private schools can do that. So I think those are the two major sources. And I think more and more, some of it is coming from industry, actually, because they seem to be continuing to do well during this time. And I think they're interested in actually keeping the pipeline of basic research open because that's where they actually get the ideas and the platforms to actually develop the next generation of drugs and 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 diagnostics and things like that. So it, it's coming from multiple sources, but it's never totally replacing the major source of funding that has been traditionally provided by the NIH. So you mentioned that the number of physician scientists seems to be decreasing. What do you think the impact of this is going to be over the long term? Well, I think it's going to really affect um, the translation of drugs and technologies from bench to bedside and back. I think one of the things is, so I think it's important to realize, although I don't practice pathology full time, I have a lot of colleagues that do. And as a result, I can talk to them and I can also talk to other colleagues in, in medicine and surgery and so on and so forth. And so what I find is some of the best basic science problems doesn't come from actually me practicing medicine or pathology. It comes from actually being able to talk to people who are true clinicians and doing it every day. So essentially acting as a conduit and coming back to my postdocs and fellows and say, well, I think this aspect of this clinical problem could be explored in our laboratory. And if you don't have those conduits, if they're just not there anymore, how are basic scientists and physicians going to talk? If you just have a building full of PhDs next door to a hospital, where are you going to actually get that crosstalk? So I think 
physician scientists have traditionally filled that role. But I think due to a lot of factors, one of them being funding, a lot of uh, um, uh, the second factor being the fact that medical knowledge is expanded to the point that everyone super specializes and doesn't seem to care about what anyone else is doing. In that sense, you need physician scientists who are able to basically bridge that gap. We're fighting cancer on many fronts, especially in the research lab. Translating knowledge from bench to bedside and back again is the holy grail for all medical professionals. Physician scientists are that transport vehicle. I want to thank Dr. Jayanta Debnath of UCSF for sharing his research insights with us. I am attorney and Dr. Bruce Bloom, President and Chief Science Officer of Partnership for Cures, a nonprofit that drives cures to patients through repurposing generic drugs for new uses. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.